Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we return to the listener library for a suggestion from our mysterious listener, Kira. Kira writes, Have you heard the thing in the window from suspense? It's by Lucille Fletcher, and I think it's pretty interesting. Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, premiered June 16, 1942, with an adaptation of John Dixon Carr's famous locked room mystery, The Burning Court. Carr adapted the novel himself and provided all but one of the scripts for the program's debut season. The exception was episode four, The Hitchhiker, by the one and only Lucille Fletcher. In 1943, the network commissioned Fletcher to write two more plays for suspense, The Diary of Sophronia Winters and Sorry Rung Number, both of which starred Mercury Theatre alum Agnes Moorhead. The latter became a runaway hit, inspiring a film adaptation starring Barbara Stanwyck and forever cementing Fletcher's reputation as a writer of -of edge-of-your-seat thrillers. Today's play, The Thing in the Window, was Fletcher's ninth and final script for suspense. It was produced twice on the series, once in 1946 starring Joseph Cotton, and again in 1949, starring Robert Montgomery. For today's episode, I chose the original production for reasons we'll discuss later. For now, let's listen to The Thing in the Window from Suspense. First broadcast, December 9th, 1946. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. Yes, Roma wines taste better because only Roma selects from the world's greatest wine reserves for your pleasure. And now, Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, present Suspense. Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Mr. Joseph Cotton in The Thing in the Window, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense. Radio's outstanding theater of thrills is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A. Roma Wines. Those better-tasting California wines enjoyed by more Americans than any other wine. For friendly entertaining, for delightful dining. Tonight in our suspense theater, we bring you the premiere of the newest suspense play written by Lucille Fletcher, the author of such distinguished radio dramas as Sorry, Wrong Number and others. But before we ring up the curtain on tonight's play and on the performance of our star, Joseph Cotton, let me make a suggestion. Why battle last-minute Christmas crowds downtown when the perfect gift is as close as your nearest wine merchant? Give magnificent grand estate wines favored by discriminating wine users everywhere. From a single assorted case of grand estate wines, you can make several distinctive gifts and provide Grand Estate Wines for your own holiday dining and entertaining, too. 
to give or serve, America offers no finer wines than Grand Estate. For Grand Estate wines presented by Roma, America's greatest vintner, are limited bottlings born of choicest grapes, then slowly guided to rich taste luxury by ancient Roma skill and America's finest winemaking resources. This Christmas, for good giving, for good living, offer all five Grand Estate California wines. When entertaining, serve medium sherry, ruby port, or golden muscatel. For gracious dining, burgundy or sauterne. Say your Merry Christmas smartly with Grand Estate wines, the crowning achievement of vintner skill. Yes, right now a glass full would be very pleasant as Roma wines bring you... Mr. Joseph Cotton as Martin Ames in The Thing in the Window, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Mary? Yes, Mr. Ames? Turn that vacuum cleaner off for a minute, will you? And come over here, I want to show you something. Yes, sir. Right here, out this window. Now, look across the street. No, directly across, uh-huh. the opposite apartment. See that window? About three windows in from the left, uh, with a kind of blue draperies? Uh-huh. There's someone sitting there in a chair. He hasn't moved all night. I think he must be dead. Dead? Lord have mercy, Mr. Ames. Take a good look at him and tell me what you think, Mary. Okay. But I don't favor looking at a corpse, Mr. Ames. It's unlucky. Now, which window did you say? Third one over. Oh, oh I wish I had me glasses oh, with me. there, right there. Where are my fingers pointing? Oh, I'm afraid I don't see it yet, Mr. Ames. Oh, look, the, the winner with the blue draperies, he's wearing a sort of a gray suit. The arm, can't, can't you see the arm hanging down over the side of the chair? No, sir. Uh, but you've got good eyes, Mr. Ames. If you see it, I'm not arguing with you. Uh, what are you going to do about it? I don't know, I... Began to notice it last night. I guess I first have to be sure the man is really dead. That's right, Mr. Ames. You don't want to get yourself into any trouble. Uh, maybe he's only sleeping, or maybe he's incapacitated. Maybe the poor soul's a stricken invalid, huh? Maybe. Hello, I'm Martin Ames. Are you the superintendent of this apartment house? That's what it says on the door. I've come to inquire about one of your tenants. Yeah, what is it you want to know? I live across the street and, uh, well, I'll be frank with you, sir. I've been looking out of my window across to this building now for two and a half days and there seems to be someone dead in one of the windows. Eh? Which window? It's the 10th floor. I've counted up from the street and it's 10 stories up. There's a window with blue draperies about three windows in from the left. Facing toward me, that is, and there's a man sitting there, slumped down in a chair. Ah, just a minute. I'll get out my chart. Tenth floor up from the street, huh? Well, it's really the ninth floor. The lobby counts one. We got two apartments there along the front of the house. It's in the front, yeah? That's right. Ah, now. Three windows in from the left, uh, that'd be 9B, a four-room. Oh, that couldn't be right. 9B is two ladies. You say this is a man? Yes, the face isn't clearly visible, the... Head slumped forward. But he's wearing a gray suit and he's sitting in a high wing-back chair. Uh, I don't place him. Well, maybe he doesn't belong in the house. Maybe he was visiting somebody. As I say, this is all conjecture, of course. He may not be dead, but I've watched him a good deal. Uh, 
I'm home a lot in the daytime. My profession, uh, the stage, doesn't take up too much of my time, and well, it looks mighty suspicious. Okay, I'll check on it. Mind if I stick around? Oh, no, no, sit down. I'll give 9B a ring first on the house phone. Oh, Miss Landis? Yes, this is Miss Landis. Who is this? Oh, this is Mr. Anson, the super. Uh, everything all right up there, Miss Landis? Everything all right? Why, yes. Yes, of course. Okay, Miss Landis. Thanks very much. Thank you. Well, that's that. No soap on 9B. 9A is in the country. Well, anyway, if I got the window straight, like you said, it ought to be 9B. The two single ladies? Yeah, only it couldn't be them. They're real old maids. They've been living in the house for years. Real old-fashioned type, you know. Say, if they knew you thought there was a man in that apartment, oh, the two of them would just about jump out of their skins. Oh. Well, I I don't know what to say. If you're sure it must be that apartment? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a place, all right. But you probably just made a little mistake. You know how your eyes can play tricks on you? After all, it is a pretty wide street. I don't think I made any mistake. Hanson speaking. Oh, uh, hello, Mr. Hanson. Uh, this is Mr. Ames. Again? Uh, it's not there. But Mr. Hanson... I checked up on the two apartments this morning. 9A is back from the country. Everybody's okay. And 9B is out walking the dog. No dead bodies in the whole place. But I can see it. It's still there. Okay. Just where? Will you just tell me where? In the same window. The one you said was 9B. Have you gone inside 9B? No, no. But I asked them if anybody was sick or dead, and they said no. You asked them? Well, why don't you search that apartment? What do you mean, break in while they're out? No, search it while they're there. Ring the bell, walk in and do it. Yeah, not without a search warrant from the police. These apartments, you know, don't belong to me. I just take care of the building for the company. Then let's call the police. Oh, not me, mister. I didn't see no dead body up there. But I will. After all, somebody's got to do something. I still maintain, officer, these two sisters are as refined ladies as you could find anywhere. High class, nice, church-going ladies. They used to teach school up here at PS 33. Yeah, that don't mean a thing. As it happens, there's a play on Broadway right now in which two nice old ladies commit murder after murder. They got a dog in there. Now, will you tell me one dog that would stay for almost a week in a flat with a dead person? I'm not telling you anything. All I know, this gentleman, Mr. Ames here, reported a stiff over here. And if he says there is one, there is. Until it's proved different. Right, Mr. Ames? Well, I keep seeing the thing day in and day out. I'm not working at the moment and being home so much. None of the other neighbors have complained. Dead bodies ain't exactly... It's uh, right this way, please. I hope they're home. If they ain't home, you got a passkey, haven't you? Well, yeah, we're not supposed to use it, though, unless for an emergency. This is an emergency. Ah, the dog bite? Sometimes. Yes? I'm awfully sorry, Miss Landis, but there's been some kind of mix-up. Uh, these two gentlemen want to look over your apartment. But why? It's not for rent. Oh, I know. It's just, uh, well, they, they want to search around and check up. Come on, and, uh... come on. Cut out the palaver. Hey, look, lady. A dead body's been reported sitting in one of your windows. What? Yeah, yeah. This guy lives across the street, and he's been seeing it over here for a week. Oh, oh so come on. Now, open up. A dead body. But that's impossible. My sister and I live here all alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know all about it. Excuse me a minute. I'll call my sister. Uh, Vivian? Vivian? Oh, come on. Vivian! It's the police. Hey, look, 
Look, lady, I'm not standing out here all day. Come on, give me the passkey, Anson. It won't do no good. They got a chain on the door from the inside. Open up in the name of the law. How do you do? I am Vivian Landis. May I ask what this is all about, Certainly, please? Certainly, lady. I got a search warrant here made out by this gentleman to search your place. He says you got a dead body in there. A dead body? Why, that's perfectly ridiculous. Yeah, isn't it? But it's been reported. And kindly take that door off the chain and let us through. Of course. First, may I ask, how did this peeping Tom see into our apartment? I thought, Mr. Anson, that we were quite private. Well, you Look, see... he lives across the street on the same level. I just happened to be... Oh, well, then we shall have to keep our shades down in the future. Although one would think a grown man would have something better to do. Do come right in, gentlemen. Make yourselves right at home. Thanks. Is he coming in here, too, Mr. Busybody? No, he doesn't have to, if you don't want him Well, to. I most definitely don't. Okay, Mr. Ames, you better stay outside. Uh, officer, I will... Oh, he does want to poke around in our private rooms, is that it? Maybe he had some ulterior motive in worming his way in. Maybe he's come to, to get the lay of the land and uh... so he can break in someday to, to rob us. Okay, okay, he's not coming in. Now, let's take a look at your window, lady. <laughs> Yes, officer. Now, what's the big idea? You didn't find it? No. That's very strange. Yeah? The only thing strange about it's your eyesight. You want to get your glasses changed. There wasn't anything in 9B? No. I don't understand it. How could I have seen it so distinctly and it's not there? But perhaps it isn't in the window now. Perhaps they hid it while we were waiting outside the door. Hid it? Hmm. Now, where do you hide a dead body in a four-room flat? Uh, I looked in all the clothes closets, under the sofas, in the chest. they got it out at the back, into the service elevator. Single-handed? With all the garbage cans and, and laundry going up oh, and down? Perhaps they had accomplices, perhaps. Oh, <laughs> you probably think... Uh... Oh, it's so terrible to, to, to keep seeing it and seeing it and feeling it slowly decaying there in secret. Why, the thing could be there for weeks. It's so high above the streets. Perhaps... Perhaps it'll never be found, but perhaps it's already being destroyed. Well, then, if it's gone, what do you got to worry about? You don't have to sit and look at it no more. No, I... I, I hope it is. I I tell you, it's really getting me down. I haven't slept for nights keeping vigil. I'm I'm in a nervous state. I, I, I haven't been, been this nervous in years. Yeah, I can see that. Well, look, why don't you try forgetting it for a while, huh? Try not to look over into that window. Or go away for a change. You've done what you could, Mr. Ames. If there is a stiff over there, well, that's my business, ain't it? And if there isn't... You mean, you think I'm... I may be... I'm not saying nothing, Mr. Ames. But if I was you, I'd try catching up on my night's sleep. Miss Landis, I, I'm i sorry to disturb you at this time of night, but I really... I'm desperate. I, I haven't anywhere else to turn. What? Who is this? This is Mr. Ames, Martin Ames, your neighbor, the one across the street. I was in your apartment yesterday morning with the police, or... Rather, I was almost in your apartment. Your sister wouldn't let me in. Oh. Now, please don't think me a pest, Miss Landis. I, I don't mean to annoy you. It was only because I was... I was so desperate that, that I initiated that search. It's quite all right. Goodbye. No, no, no. Please don't hang up, because... It's worse now than it ever was. Miss Landis, I, I've been sitting here opposite your apartment, staring into your windows, and I... I... 
I'm only asking you to help me, Miss Landis. Help me just a little. Help you? It's still there, Miss Landis. What is still there? The dead body in your window. Oh, but there isn't. How dare you? When the police... I know, I know. I know now it hasn't anything to do with you. But would you do me just one favor, Miss Landis? Would you go into your living room and just check once more? Oh, I won't. I'll do nothing of the kind. You're out of your mind. Oh, perhaps no. I am, Miss Landis. That's what I'm trying to find out. Then perhaps your sister Vivian would help me. She's not at home. Oh, Lord. And anyway, I don't see how you can see in. I pulled the shades down in there yesterday morning. I know. They're all down still. Well, then how can you see? I can't. At least not the actual body. It's just the silhouette. I'm not maligning you or your sister, Miss Landis. If there's someone dead in there, it's, it's not you who are doing it. But think of me. Oh. If you could just be here and look over there and see the shadow of those quiet fingers, and that shoulder, and that head. Oh, please! Stop it! Stop it! It's not here! It is Tell me just one thing, Miss Landis. There is a chair by that window, though, isn't there? Yes. There's a chair. Uh, a high-backed wing chair. Mm-hmm. And have you anything on it? Anything piled up? I mean, like curtains or cushions or dressmaker's dummy? Or, oh, of course or, not. Or do you have a plant in the window in front of it? Some kind of a odd table? Anything? Anything that would cast a shadow like a, a man's head slumped forward or an arm hanging limp? No. Then would you do me just one more favor, Miss Landis? Please, please, and as, as an experiment, would you just go into the living room and move that chair from the window, please? I... Uh, if I do it, will you stop pestering us? Yes. Will you let us alone forever? Yes, yes, if it works. If it works? What do you mean? What I, do you mean? I can't tell, Miss Landis, until you move the chair. Yes. I moved it away from the window. It's at the other end of the room, and there's nothing in it. It's empty. Oh, I see. Well, thanks very much, Miss Landis. I, I know what I have to do now. You mean? Yes, Miss Landis. It's still there. <laughs> Landis. Where is it? I want to see it at once. Oh, yes, Miss Landis. Come in now. I hope you'll excuse my appearance. I've just passed another sleepless night. So has my sister, and so have I. What do you mean by all this business, Mr. Ames? You have frightened my poor sister nearly to death. I... Seeing things that aren't there when you, you know that they're not. I know they're not. Oh, oh I wish there were I wish to heaven I'd never looked out that window. I wish those walls were solid stone and your walls... Oh. You are a sick man, Mr. Ames. Oh, am I? I wish I were, but I'm, I'm perfectly sane and well. I went to a psychiatrist yesterday and guess what he told me? That there's nothing wrong with me, nothing. I can't believe that. But you, I suppose it's a form of madness to persist and persist in seeing this hideous image. But not me, Miss Landis. 
No. I finally come to an entirely different conclusion. And what is that? The supernatural. The supernatural? A ghost? What nonsense, Mr. Ames? Yes, I suppose it is nonsense to you. You've been a school teacher. Yes. You believe in logic and common sense, the things that give a pretense of solidity to this frail little life of ours. But I'm an artist. I've always had a feeling for the thing beyond, the intangible, the shadowy. We're children, Miss Landis. Children playing along the edge of the ocean. We laugh and toy with the waves and mock fright. But sometime, sometime one of us slips down into the darkness. Sometimes the depths rise and we glimpse the yawning fangs of the eternal. You, you put things rather oddly, Mr. Ames. Just exactly what do you mean? Simply this. I checked on that building with the real estate agents yesterday afternoon after I left my psychiatrist. And there was a murder. In our apartment? Well, the report didn't say. You know how they try to hush those things up. But it was a man, a young man. The lover of one of the tenants, uh, a Miss Sweetser. Sweetser? Hmm. Why, that, that's the name of the people who lived there before us. Oh. But, uh, they were an elderly couple, Mr. and Mrs. Sweetser. I, I never saw any Miss Sweetser. She died. She was the daughter. She killed herself afterwards by jumping out one of the windows. Oh, perfectly awful. Rather a ghastly coincidence, isn't it? Was it out our window? Who knows? She must have been a very neurotic person, though, this Miss Sweetser. Half-crazed, almost with love or jealousy. I checked on the details in an old newspaper. She cut his throat, nearly decapitated him. It said that when they lifted his body out of the chair later, his head almost rolled. Excuse me. Mr. Ames, I, I'd rather not hear. I I still can't believe it. If there is something, if there could possibly be something, why haven't we seen it, too? Why should you Haven't be... you seen it, Miss Landis? No! You're sure? I... Never? Perhaps in the middle of the night, getting up and passing that room, seeing that chair outlined against the window, just, just in passing, perhaps... You've never had a glimpse? No, I... No. I... I really must be going. No, no, no. no. Please stay and look at it. I want you to see it out no. of my window. My, my sister Elaine, she's very nervous, Mr. Ames. I can't leave her so well, long alone. Then how I... will I know? How? Well, I... Miss Landis, I, I no. thought you came here especially. It, it'll only take a minute. I really... It's right in here in the bedroom. I just have to let up the Venetian line. Oh, Miss Landis. Don't go. Miss Landis. Hello. Oh, hello, Sergeant. This is Ames, Martin Ames. I just called to let you know. I think you're right about that good night's sleep. Yes, I'm going away tomorrow for for a long rest, shutting up my apartment. Yes, I'm all I'm all tied up in knots. I, I I don't know what to think. Oh, they did. Yes, I saw the moving van in front of the house, but I I, I didn't know it was those sisters. Couldn't take it, huh? Well, I can't take it much longer myself. Whoa, Ma, 
Monty. Bravo, bravissimo, boy. <laughs> Not so loud. Why all the mystery? The superintendent doesn't like me. <laughs> I should think he wouldn't like you grabbing this beautiful apartment right from under his nose. He probably had a promise to a friend. <laughs> but you've got it now, Ronald, just as I said. Oh, so I have, old boy, so I have. And it's beautiful. You know, I'm crazy about it. Marty, you've outdone yourself. You've been more than generous. Oh, think I... nothing of it, Ronald. I'm glad to do it for... Such a distinguished colleague. Well, it certainly was nice of you. And I wish I could do something in return, Marty. I really do. Oh, no. uh, perhaps that play I'm doing next season. You know, there's a part in it. It's rather small, small part, but very necessary. Well, thanks, I... just the same. But I'm doing pretty well just now, Ronald. Oh. Well, I don't know how you found it, Marty. In this housing shortage. Oh, you know, why even the superintendent is nervous for rent? When your call came to my manager, I left rehearsal. I wouldn't trust it to anyone but myself. <laughs> I left the whole cast just standing there while I came over. <laughs> and, and when I asked this gloomy character, Anson, he said he'd heard nothing about it. So I insisted, of course. I told him who I was. Finally, he called up. Sure enough, it seems these two sisters who lived here just decided to move out. <laughs> really? Well, say, I hope you didn't mention my name, though, if Anson known that I'd tipped you off. Oh, no, no, no. You asked me not to. Anyway, I think my own name is enough. Well, Seriously, Marty, how did you know? Were they friends with you? Oh, no, no. It's a rather long story. Here, let, let's sit down, oh, shall we, in the oh. living room. Uh, oh, no, no, no. You take the chair. I oh. guess they must have left that when they moved out. No, thank you. Well, to be frank, Ronald, I got this apartment by a ruse. A ruse, man? What kind of ruse? Oh, pretty nasty one. I... I frightened the last tenants away. I, I told them I saw a dead man sitting here in this window. <laughs> no, 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 not really. How clever of you. Of course, there was. Oh, no. You, you see, I live across the street, directly across, in that apartment there with the striped curtain. Oh. One night, just sitting there late, I got an amusing thought. There was a kind of shadow across this chair, the one that you're sitting in. It reminded me a little bit of a corpse. And it came to me that... It might be fun to create a great part, a character, a corpse that wasn't there. Uh, I don't follow you. Why? Some actors need a play, Ronald, to create a role. Others, the great ones, work out their own dramas. Mm -hmm. I proceeded to invent a part for myself. I was the eyewitness, the innocent bystander across the street who saw a corpse in here. And I kept seeing it and kept seeing it. And finally, by the power of suggestion, it became real enough to frighten them away. <laughs> Very clever. Wasn't it rather drastic? I'd always hoped we'd be neighbors, Ronald. As a matter of fact, the whole idea for this thing came to me that day in October when you turned me down for that part outside of Sardis, remember? You said you would look into your place then. Did I? Oh, yes. It was then I thought how nice it would be to see you right across the street, sitting in this window. I simply had to bring it about. Well, I... Oh, no, 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 Ronald. Don't get up yet. I'm not through. <laughs> really, oh boy, I'm afraid the gang at the theater, you know, they, they don't even know that I'm here. They'll they... wait. Yeah. People always wait for you, don't they, Ronald? I could call them for you, of course, but the phone's been disconnected. Well, I'm afraid that I'm... Uh, which way is the door, oh, boy? Now, really, Marty, it's been very kind What's of the you matter? I... Don't you like the apartment, Ronald? Aren't you going to take it after all my work? Oh, oh yes, yes. I like it very much, the door's locked. Yes, Ronald. I'm afraid you'll have to find your way out alone. There. That'll keep you quiet. <laughs> Silence always became you better than all that ranting and glibness and charm, Ronald. 
And now I've got the part for you. A part to end all parts. You play it entirely in a chair. There isn't much action, not a line to figure. Just sit, one. Just sit in this chair by the window. Yeah. It'll be the greatest performance of your career. You liked to hog all the fattest roles for yourself, didn't you? Well, this is a part that's been talked about up and down this street for weeks. You'll play the part of a ghost. A corpse that never was. A hallucination in my brain. And who'll be your audience? I will. I, the insignificant, outmoded ham who wouldn't, wasn't fit to appear in your precious plane. But good enough to put you here, Ronald. <laughs> Who's the better actor now, Ronald? <laughs> Goodbye, Ronald. See you across the street. Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines. R-O-M-A. Roma, America's favorite wine. And now this is Ken Niles with a curtain call for the star of tonight's play, that perennial suspense favorite, Joseph Cotton. Joe, tonight marks your seventh appearance on suspense in less than three years, making you our all-time champion guest. <laughs> no cotton shortage on suspense, again. <laughs> and no shortage of suspense when cotton's on hand, either. In appreciation of those seven stellar performances, here's a Christmas present for you, Joe. Please accept this gift basket of Grand Estate Wines from your host... Roma, America's Greatest Minder. Thank you, Ken. And you're an outstanding host this Christmas when you serve these magnificent Grand Estate Wines. For Grand Estate Wines reflect the host's desire to offer only the finest. Grand Estate Wines delight the most discriminating guests, whatever the occasion. I'll remember that, Ken. And don't forget, Grand Estate Wines make ideal gifts, friendly, thoughtful gifts, in perfect taste. Yes, for gift or guest, America offers no finer wines than distinguished Grand Estate wines. For the holidays, keep on hand all five Grand Estate California wines. When entertaining, serve medium sherry, ruby port, or golden muscatel. For gracious dining, burgundy or sauterne. Each limited bottling of Grand Estate wine, carefully selected by Roma, is a wine outstanding in rare taste pleasure. So this Christmas... Give or serve the finest. Grand Estate Wines, the crowning achievement of Vintner skill. Well put, Ken, but I must know one more thing. What about next Thursday's show? Well, it's a double threat show with the honors going to two distinguished ladies. It's called Philomel Cotton. The author is England's number one feminine mistress of the art of suspense, Agatha Christie. And our star will be the most provocative European leading lady to visit our shores in many a moon, Miss Lily Palmer. Well, I've never missed a suspense show yet, and certainly next week sounds even more intriguing than usual. Good night. Good night, Joe. We're all looking forward to seeing you and David O'Selznick's production, Duel in the Sun. Next Thursday, same time, you will hear Miss Lily Palmer as star of Suspense. Produced and directed by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California.
Stay tuned for the thrilling adventures of the FBI in peace and war, following immediately over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was The Thing in the Window from Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That is a listener request coming to us from Kira. And uh, full disclosure, Kira is a dear friend of mine who also was a student of mine. So Kira was one of my students from sixth grade all the way through her senior year in theater in all of uh, the theater programs that I teach. And now she is a professional uh, stage manager and uh, producer of theater. And she's uh, really good at her job. I would like to take credit for that, but I'm not going to. Uh, but <laughs> the reason I say all that is, A, this is interesting. I've never had a friend make a request. I didn't even know I had friends that listened to this podcast. My only friends are on the podcast. Um, <laughs> and second, I brought up the fact that she's in theater and a stage manager because this is her request. And I think it's very interesting that her request is a show about an full no! actor. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like something cathartic coming from <laughs> stage management. You know, there are a lot of unfortunate stereotypes you have to get past in old time radio. This is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> there are a lot of crazy actor stories in old time radio, and uh, I love each and every one of them seems to be when you hear these actor stories in, in these old-time radio drama stuff and they're the villains or whatever it it always seems cathartic or some kind of venting <laughs> being done by mm -hmm. writers <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the thing in the window there it was uh and, and i'm really glad that we finally got to this for kira who, weirdly, also is uh, house-sitting for me soon. So I've got to be careful. <laughs> I gotta be, so I'm just going to say this. Wow, you're brilliant, Kira. <laughs> classic. <was> classic. <laughs> that was a great choice. Please take care of my pets. <laughs> hey, um, so you know how the link you sent out was like, oh, there's a little problem with this link. That's okay. I'll just Google it and listen to it a, a different link. Listen to the other version. <laughs> oh, you listen to the Robert Montgomery version. Yes. Okay, that's fine. We can keep going. The thing is, it's the exact same script. It just is a very different performance. So this is really interesting. This will be a great experiment. So let me start by saying I chose the Joseph Cotton version mainly because of his performance. He has, in my opinion, a more naturalistic performance that I felt hid the reveal. When I listened to the Robert Montgomery one, obviously I'd already heard the Joseph Cotton one, so I had a hard time telling whether or not Robert Montgomery's performance, who I usually really enjoy, would give away the end. Because, in my opinion, Robert Montgomery performs it as a very over-the-top actor. He's very dramatic from the top. He sounds more like... Joseph Cotton's actor friend at the end. Yeah. And I thought that might telegraph that there's something weird about this guy. 
I don't know how Tim felt about that. No, I, I do not disagree. Like, I'm sure Joseph Cotton had a much more natural performance. In this, the comparison for me was uh, Agnes Moorhead and Sorry, Wrong Number of, like, for what I, well, I was listening to it, assumed in in world reasons why this guy was very melodramatic. Well, I'll say this then. So this is interesting. Joshua's heard both versions. I've only heard Joe Cotton because we go way back. I call him Joe. Uh, and uh, <laughs> you've only heard uh, Robbie Montgomery's. So um, uh, you're kind of the mediator here, Joshua. So interestingly, so Tim, here's the deal. And for Joshua's information, I had no idea until the very end that he was an actor or in the performing arts or anything but a guy that lived across the street. You know, he says there's a line early on that he is an actor. I, of course, miss that. But there would be nothing <laughs> that would give that away performance-wise. He plays it like a very normal guy. Then the guy that comes in at the end, the director that he gets the, the apartment for, he's a giant cartoon character of a, a theatrical person. But then Cotton starts to become that character as it's revealed who he is, and he becomes very melodramatic at the end. There was no giveaway for me on a twist at all. I thought, oh, yeah, this is a dead guy sitting in a chair that he's seeing, and it's a supernatural deal, and they can't see it. And I went, yeah, that wasn't very good. And then I went, oh, there's we're only 20 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that's a lot of that's a lot of Roma wine commercial coming my way, or there's got to be something coming, and I had no idea what it was, and it was very fun. It was a great finish for me. I did not see the twist, two twists at the end coming either. Although I, in your description, I think I might have enjoyed the transformation more if the it had been more low key to start with, into the more evil cackling villain sort of role. Did you guys believe it was going in a supernatural direction as soon as Cotton brings that up? Or I'm sorry, Martin Ames. Yes. I was convinced from the beginning when he was seeing the image and the the maid or whatever she is cannot see uh, the image. I went, oh, that's because it's not there and only he can see it and he's haunted by this thing. And then when he goes and does his research and finds out about the the murder and the suicides and, and all of that that took place in that apartment. I was like, yeah, that's very run in the mill, supernatural storyline. So, and I thought that's where it was going. I did until I went, Oh, anytime law and order is wrapped up with 30 minutes to go, you know, you're, you know, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, yay, it's over early. <laughs> <laughs> And now, very long credits. <laughs> I early on convinced myself that this was going to be, he ends up sitting in a chair dead in a gray suit. I don't, don't know why I decided that, but I was just so sure of it. I, I didn't even give any more thought as to what the end of this might so, be. And that would be a supernatural twist or just an ironic one? Yes, not a ghost, but like a... A sort of vision of his own demise future. Right. That crossed my mind at one point that that could very well be, but none of the things that I thought might happen were, <laughs> I got a great way to get an apartment. And then, no, it's not about getting an apartment for my buddy. It's about revenge for not getting cast. Which, again, God, actors. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was, for a lot of this, not enjoying it. Not because it's not good, um, but because like my one of my dirty little secrets is like, I don't really like Rear Window. I don't like stories of people just staring at each other across the street. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's what other purely aesthetic. Wait, wait. I don't like stories other than Rear Window. Start listing them. Uh, the thing in the window. <laughs> you know, there's lots of these. <laughs> I, I think it is, it might be more of a, a dynamic that if I lived in a really big city where we were wall-to-wall people and like if I look up my window, I'm going to see somebody's apartment. But as it is, it just seems weird. Like the the logic starts to eat at me of like, and I understand now when I got to the end, I enjoyed it because it wasn't what I thought it was. Because I thought, like, why don't you just bring the cop into your window, look at their window, and now I know why they didn't do that. So I enjoyed the twist at the end a lot. And after it was over, going back and thinking about it, I enjoyed it more of what a sort of ingenious alibi this is or would have been if he hadn't got caught at the last minute. I want to delve more into the psychological analysis of Tim and his hatred of people looking in other people's windows like that's not a story it's just being weird (laughs) (laughs) that's just that's just what horrible people do just (laughs) yelling at jimmy stewart you're just being weird (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna try to understand tim (laughs) and i can relate in that these are stories that literally shrink the storytelling down to the size of a window it sort of uh, limits the canvas of storytelling. Uh, often it takes place in a room looking across because I can't name them either, but there have been tons of movies that aren't directly a ripoff of Rear Window, but use that trope. But there's one out right now, like with Amy Adams, yes. right? Amy Adams being weird looking at a window. That, And I've never <laughs> seen the musical Rent, but I assume that's what it's about. Yes. <laughs> it's interesting that we bring up Rear Window because one of the things that I think is ingenious about her script is that she takes us through a number of different narrative conventions in an attempt to convince you that's what the story is going to be and then moves to the side and it feels like an aha this is what the story is and then it's not we move from rear window which this was made before the movie rear window so whether or not she was actually influenced by it had to be murder which was the short story that Rear Window is based on, which had already been published and was actually quite popular and might be something that a suspense or crime writer like Lucille Fletcher would have read. But regardless, we now recognize it after the fact, and I think we all thought of Rear Window when we started listening to this. But then once they call the ladies next door, it becomes this arsenic and old lace story. They even mention it directly. Well, I think that play is going on on Broadway right now. And so you settle in as a listener and go... That's where we're going. Interesting. And then we switch to Supernatural. And because Lucille Fletcher has a history of writing Supernatural stories, The Hitchhiker mainly, and Suspense will occasionally go that direction, you go, oh, maybe. So I think the level of misdirection in like the first 20 minutes of the story is pretty impressive. Yeah, I forgot to mention that misdirection of thinking, oh, maybe it's these two old ladies who have uh, killed a guy and are hiding him. Uh, And they act very suspicious a lot in their phone call conversations. So, yeah, you're right, Joshua. That's a really good point. It takes you down a lot of paths and gives you a lot of possible 
places where it's going, and none of them were guessed. And it's interesting that we are kept completely outside of Martin Ames' head. He's sympathetic. Uh, I mean, at least in the Joseph Cotton one, I think. So you believe him and feel for him when he's distressed about seeing this body. But we really know nothing about him other than he is an actor. And that line is pretty funny. I'm a home a lot. My profession, the stage, doesn't take up much of my time. Right. What he means is, I'm unemployed. (laughs) (laughs) I work on the stage. Uh, But I thought it was interesting because I think, maybe I'm wrong, at the time, Lucille Fletcher is disguising the clue, which is the only clue about this twist, the fact that he's an actor, in an explanation of why he's home all the time, which I would guess a modern listener wouldn't need that explanation like right people work from home or they have two jobs or they work the night shift but i think a man in 1946 who's home all the time looking out his window is weird i'm gonna compare this to the ghost that we listened to a little while ago from the key the end of the the ghost i don't know if you recall but the it was what's the simplest answer and in that case it was it was a ghost is the simplest answer Um, And in this case, the simplest answer is he's lying. It's the only answer that makes sense outside of it's a ghost. Yeah, and it's interesting because we're in this um, convoluted genre that we willingly enter into when we listen to suspense. So we throw away the simplest idea. Yeah. What kind of story could you make out of he was lying the whole time? That would be really disappointing, except it's not in this scenario. Right. Mainly because we know so little about him revealing his motive at the end is a climax. It's the big twist. Um, And usually in a crime story where we're supposed to sympathize with the criminal, we learn a lot about their life and their motivation at the beginning, which helps us follow their path into this criminal activity. It's also an interesting structure of where the break is. Of, like, he's got this old woman in his house. He's trying to, like, no, come look in the window. Come with me. Come in the bedroom, which is, I understand why she's like, no, I'm not going into your bedroom, weirdo. I just wagged my finger. I can vouch for that. Everybody <laughs> he did wag. But it breaks suddenly. The narrative does. And it's like, what happened? Did he just kill her? So it, you lose your, your footing there for a second. You have to regain of, like, all right, they moved out. And... right. He's moved in or he's found it for his friend and it moves out of this very tight little confined narrative to have to sort of jump over a pit to some new tight confined narrative. I'm just spitballing here. (laughs) No, and it's interesting that you don't know, did they move because they were legitimately frightened of this ghost story or they were frightened of him because he just wouldn't leave them alone? And it doesn't directly answer that. I suspect, based on the characters themselves, that they just said, screw this, I'm going to move somewhere else. I would say that they believe the haunting. They seem skittish, and their personalities were written and performed in such a way that I found the answer to be they believed that they had a ghost in their house, and then they believed the man across the street. Not that it matters. That argument is, who cares? It doesn't matter why they moved, but I was led to believe that it worked on that level, not on the annoyance level. As I was saying a little earlier that I just love to think about when the police come, if it had worked as it was supposed to, say, oh, my, there's this guy dead in this chair like that guy said, he's likely to be the murderer, but maybe what motive would he have? He knew the guy. It would be so weird to do what he did. 
It's so outlandish. It couldn't possibly be him. The, the plan is just too nuts. See, I had a totally different interpretation of the ending, and that's interesting to me, is I interpreted it as Ames had just snapped. I don't see this creating any kind of alibi for him. It's going to be very clear when they figure out, oh, this is a friend of his. He knows this guy. He didn't cast him in a play. And he, and he wants the attention. He wants to be shown. I pulled off this impressive, impromptu play called The Thing in the Window, and I made it real. That's basically what I how I interpreted his final monologue. I agree with Joshua 100%. I think that this whole thing wasn't thought out to the point of, and how do I get away with it? The thought process ends right before there because the motivation is, I'm going to do something extremely grand for revenge and would probably not that we see or hear it in this but probably would walk right out of that apartment and start telling people guess what i did this <laughs> this huge plan i don't follow that logic though of why he would start doing it in the first place unless because he didn't cast him in a show and he wanted to get revenge on him and so consequently so he would give him an apartment he mentions to him when he's ca casting him that he's looking for an apartment he comes up with this idea it's all about as he says this gigantic performance piece it's performance art to show him what a great actor he is i convinced you i convinced these neighbor ladies i convinced everybody about all of these different things you believe me that i liked you well enough to get you an apartment and now i'm gonna kill you and put you in that chair it's all a play it's all uh just a performance piece oh you were saying that everything as it was except for he wouldn't actually kill him he was just going to pretend no. he'll kill him then that's that was what i was saying that this whole thing was a plan that would end with and then i murder him i interpreted that he killed him in that scuffle yeah so even if it wasn't a, a ahead of time planned the idea of how it would actually play out delighted me and that's what i was saying i think that he wanted so much for people to recognize the beauty of this whole thing that he would walk out after killing him, putting him in the chair out of the apartment and just start telling people, look at this amazing performance piece I just put on. It wasn't about getting away with it. It was about getting recognition for this brilliant thing where he got revenge. Does that make sense? Yes. I still think for me it was he was ultimately going to have because he talked about how it's a little curtains with frame and a theater, he was going to be able to go back to his apartment and look out his window and see the show he wanted to see. Yeah, and I think that's what he's going to do, is go sit down there because he says, I'll see you across the street. Right. I just think whether he sits there and waits for the super to come into that building to clean it before showing it to the next <laughs> tenants, uh, you know, and he watches it unfold from there or whether he gets on the phone and calls the cops so that he can point out and say, see, yeah. I was right. Right. Yes, it's all part of the theatrical victory. Yeah, I don't think he mind. had any intent of getting away with it. But I, I would think had they not walked in on him, he might have gotten away with it. Because it's so ridiculous. I see. I know what you're saying. You're saying it's so set up and so ridiculous that no one would believe it. Yes. Maybe there is a difference between the two versions we listen to. Because I don't recall anyone walking in on them at the end. Yes. The lady comes back in to get the pass key and the super is like, we're going to go in and get the uh, the chair. We left that behind. And it, it just ends on that. We're about to go in and get the chair. 
Not in this version. There are differences. Yeah, that leads you down a different path when they give you that. Because, see, this is my bad. I did not listen through the entire version of the uh, Robert Montgomery one. I listened well, to about two-thirds of it. a little my bad for not listening to the right version. But... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, mostly you're bad for not listening to both versions all the way through. <laughs> so it's interesting, then, either Lucille Fletcher or the suspense producer at the time, when they did it a second time, must have felt there needed more clarification or more of a sting on the episode. I liked it because it was a real quick second twist. Third twist, actually, because the first twist is, there was no guy in the window, I just wanted to get my buddy an apartment. Second twist is, nah, it wasn't to get a guy in an apartment, it was to get revenge on this guy, and then the third twist would be that one. Yeah. Well, listeners, as well as Eric and I, have some homework to do to compare and contrast <laughs> yeah. these two versions now. Well, That's fascinating. Well, there's also then that epilogue where, you know, when he becomes a mime in the Robert Montgomery one. <laughs> and then... <laughs> one of the great radio scenes ever, the mime one. Well, I could really hear the invisible box. <laughs> well, should we send this to a vote? I just want to point out one other thing that I found entertaining about this version, and that is in the uh, opening, uh, when they are announcing that this is a premiere play by Lucille Fletcher, author of such distinguished radio dramas as Sorry, Wrong Number and Others. <laughs> and I immediately was like, this is like the old-time radio equivalent of the Gilligan's Island theme song. Right. And Lucille the Fletcher just got Professor and Mary Ann. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the rest, that's like, those are great scripts. That's The Hitchhiker, Fugan C Minor, The Nightman. Come on, suspense. Others. It shows you how popular Sorry Wrong Number was. I picked up on that myself. I said, really? You, you don't have an extra eight seconds to mention a couple more? Okay, I sent it to a vote, and I'll start. I really enjoyed it uh, a lot. I, it, the, for all the reasons we discussed, in the sense that I didn't see any of it coming, but I had nine different scenarios of what it could be, and none of them turned out to be what it was. Very enjoyable, and the twist got me, and then the double twist got me. And I do like that it isn't a murder that he's trying to get away with it's a murder for murder's sake for just revenge and to show what a great performance piece that he has written because that extra added i'm not trying to get away with it or haven't thought through that or don't care backs up what joshua was saying and that is that he snapped that this is all about a person snapping even though this grandiose plan comes up because Otherwise, you figure out how to get away with it. And I know what, Tim, I know what you're saying, that he could probably get away with it because it's too ludicrous for someone to believe. But I'm going to throw classic out on this one. and stands the test of time. I think it's great. I will say that it absolutely stands the test of time. Lucille Fletcher, we, we keep sort of like, is she ever going to throw a, a dud at us? And apparently no. I think it could have used maybe William Cotton in the main role. I think that would have helped. <laughs> um, William Cotton? Is that Joseph Cotton's brother? Oh, damn it. <laughs> Joseph Cotton. <laughs> have you not heard of William Cotton's version? It's phenomenal. <laughs> That's the one I listened to. <laughs> but, yeah, my one complaint is that it, she chose to write a, a story in the, oh, is there people being weird genre that apparently I <laughs> have a bias against? <laughs> 
Oh, I think it stands the test of time for sure. I mean, there's lots to discover in this play. Uh, clearly that there's a second one that <laughs> is different, in, in fact. <laughs> uh, and as uh, Fletcher's final script for suspense, it's of historical interest too. Is it a classic? Yes and no. And that I tend to think everything Lucille Fletcher writes is a classic. So it has some honorary status, but I just don't think it is the best of the best of Lucille Fletcher. And that's probably unfair to this script. The irony, of course, is that not the best of the best of Lucille Fletcher is still really, really good. So I'm not going to go for classic, but a great script. And now I really want to listen to the entirety of the second one. I'm all excited for the William Cotton one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Tim, tell him stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. You will also be able to comment on episodes, vote in polls to let us know what you think of them. You'll be able to send us messages. If you have requests that you'd like us to listen to, send us a message. We will put it on the list. Um, You can also link to our, our Threadless store, get some Mysterious Old Radio swag. Um, and a uh, link to our Patreon page. Yes, go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. You can join us for Zoom happy hours once a month. You can listen to bonus podcasts. We have so many of them. We have Secrets of the Mysterious Old Radio. We have Cliffhangers of Doom. Uh, we just started doing an occasional Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society B-Sides podcast. For example, we are listening to an episode of Big Town, based on our our Big Town side discussion in our episode talking about the author and the thing. So it gets really nerdy on the Patreon page. So (laughs) if you like our podcast and want even more of it, go to patreon.com slash the morals. And coming up on B-Sides, the William Cotton version (laughs) of The Thing in the Window. Hey, I'm William Cotton. (laughs) There's a guy in your window. (laughs) If you'd like to see us perform live on stage, we do recreations and adaptations of old-time radio shows and a lot of original work as a theater company that does radio drama on the stage. Come and see us either live or online by going to ghoulishdelights.com to see our schedule of when we're performing and where we're performing and your ability to buy tickets to see us in person or to purchase a ticket to view us virtually online, our performances. Once again, go to ghoulishdelights.com or mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com to see our monthly performances. I'd like to thank, before we end it here, Kira for sending us that request and also to wish her a happy birthday because the release date of this will be somewhere near her birthday uh somewhere within a year all right (laughs) (laughs) well happy birthday to all of us then (laughs) hey what's coming up next Next is your choice, Eric. Oh, it is. That's right. I have been enamored lately with Dragnet, and I have found one that I'm going to bring to the podcast. That's all I'm going to say. So next time we'll be listening to The Werewolf from Dragnet. Until then... Who's the better actor now? Goodbye, Ronald. No one will see me go out, but I'll see you across the street. Okay, Miss Landis, I got the pass key right here. That's so kind of you, Mr. Ramson. 
Personally, I begged her to leave the old thing here and have you throw it out, but Elaine misses it. <sighs> it's Mr. Ames. Ames. Yes, yes, I was just going. I couldn't resist coming up and making one final check just for myself. The door seemed to be open and I... I anyway, the illusion's quite vanished. Quite. There's nothing there. Really, Mr. Ames? Uh, that's good. All right, Mr. Ranson. Will you ask the moving men to go in there now and take away the chair? Maybe there is a difference between the two versions we listened to.